And uh, we're going to continue on this morning. Let me go ahead and pray over the message. As we dive into what I like to affectionately call TQL. It's not a shopping network. All right, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, it is a blessing to get into Your Word this morning. We pray that You let it uh, speak deeply to us. Father, as I was preparing for the message, You started to break the whole thing up and You started to reform it. And, and uh, Lord, I get excited about that because it, it seems that there's a very specific message that You have today. And, and You wanted it to be pinpoint focused. And so, uh, Lord, do Your work. Speak beyond what I can do. Um, and help us to stay uh, focused and, and with, a, with an ear to hear and a heart to learn. So that, Lord, we take, we value, and we act on the beauty and the wisdom and knowledge of Your Word. Thank You, Father. Speak for us. Amen. We'll turn to Titus 1. And uh, we started last week talking about uh, uh, mentorship because it was based off of the introduction of Paul. Paul gives these incredible credentials. Paul was an apostle. Uh, he uh, was just this incredible figurehead and man used of God for the purpose of shaping the church and the New Testament community and, coincidentally, a majority of our New Testament. Uh, and so what we have here is a letter written to part of his team. Paul never acted alone. He went with a team. And while we don't have anything specific in Scripture saying that Paul was in Crete, this is all based about the island of Crete, uh, we know he had to be there because he leaves Titus there. It's apparent by this writing, by the, the, the book of Titus, that there had been churches established there on Crete. Now get the picture of when we say churches, we're not talking about these big structures. We're not talking about uh, mega churches. We're probably talking about a group of people that gathered together uh, in homes or maybe even synagogues. And, uh, and so they had started a good work there. They had started something and yet it was incomplete. It was not finished. And so Paul has to leave. Paul has to go somewhere. We, we're not sure where. But he gives instructions. He leaves his man, Titus, there to complete the work. And that's where we pick it up today. My question to you to start out is pretty simple. Have you ever gone camping? Raise your hand if you've gone camping. I am an expert at camping. I just want to let you know that. I'm an expert at camping. And uh, I don't, we haven't camped, my wife and I and my family, we haven't camped a whole lot in the past 10 years because they don't believe I'm an expert at camping. Um, Back before I met my wife, I was working at an illustrious sporting goods store that shall go unnamed. But while I was at Sports Chalet, I, uh, I worked uh, in different various departments. And the great perk at Sports Chalet, one of the great perks, other than that beautiful uniform, was, uh, was the fact that you could rent stuff for free. So I could get these great tents, these North Face tents, for free. And so we would go out and we'd go camping in the Sierras and, and, and have a great time. Um, and, you know, there's something unique about tents. Is that they're always so much fun to put together, right? It's fantastic. 
And, and any third grader could just look at the thing and put it together with ease and, and, and with simple manipulation. Um, and when I mean manipulation, you know, what, with those tent poles, you know what we're talking about when we say manipulation. Now, here's the fascinating thing. I, I would put that tent together in half a day and, and have it erected, and it would be great. And uh, there was always spare parts. You guys ever face that? You know, there's spare parts. And, and one of the biggest spare parts was this giant piece of cloth or, or nylon. And you're looking at it, and you're looking, and the tent is assembled, and you got this whole thing, and you're thinking, was this in case I was going to do base jumping? What, what is this for? And it's the, what is it? It's the, it's the fly. It's called the fly, right? And I'm looking at it, I'm like, look, I got coverage. What? Why do I need that? That's got to be for, you know, if we're like, you know, in the Himalayas and I want protection from Sasquatch or something. I don't know. And so I never put the fly on. And, uh, you know, I, I had my base. Very expensive tent. High quality tent. It was good stuff. And it was put together magnificently, I, I must add. And so I would get in there and I'd have all my gear and I'd have all my stuff. And I would, uh, I would wake up the next morning. And have you ever had... Um, I don't know, what's the best way to say it? Wet bacon? Have you ever had wet bacon? It's disgusting, right? Wet bacon. Bacon that's barely been... You know, bacon in its, in its illustrious career has made a name for itself because of being properly prepared to a fine golden... What? Crispness. Yes! And when I wake up in nature, I expect there to be crisp bacon my friends. But imagine being out there, the sun has risen, the birds are chirping, squirrels are singing just to your right. It's this beautiful moment and you get up and you smell the the cooking of the food and the coffee and you get it and somebody gives you wet bacon. It's like a noodle. It ruins your entire day. Folks, everything in my tent was like wet bacon because I didn't put up the fly. Everything was moist. Now, did I do everything I planned on doing that day? Yeah, but walking around in wet bacon. It was ridiculous. And and I learned my lesson. So the next time I went camping, what do you think I did? I put the fly on. Ask me if I put it on correctly. As we faced 100 mile an hour winds out there and the, the, the thing wasn't strapped down correctly and it's... Have you ever heard, have you ever been within like 25 feet of a uh, military helicopter? Because apparently I was. And just the, the thing wrapping against the top of the tent over and over and the percussion of that. And I just thought that's, that's the way it happens because I'd never used to fly before. And when I told that story, people just laughed me out of the camping world. That's why we no longer go camping, is that there's signs all over. If this guy shows up, don't let him in. You'll be embarrassed if he's in your campground. You know, there's a foundation, and that's the tent. And you can camp in a tent, and it works. But everything that you do the rest of the day has been affected if you don't have the necessary auxiliary parts so that your experience is everything it's supposed to be. And that's what we're talking about this morning as we dive into uh, this idea of total quality leadership we're going to be diving into some very heady information. And so today, we're just going to cover one verse. I don't think I've ever done that. We're just going to cover one verse today because the next couple verses 
are loaded. And they're going to take a majority of the time. And we don't want to bypass the value of what we're looking at today. So this sets up where we're going. By the way, this is a, 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 it's actually a synagogue. And it's on the island of Crete. This is how beautiful it is in Crete. So we're all going to take a field trip there, I'm sure, in the next couple of years. So our first point this morning is this. Titus had a focused task. He had a focused task. It was handed down by Paul. And let's read it this morning. And it's in verse 5. Listen carefully as I read this. It says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Pastor, how are you going to preach on just that verse? There's so much there that we have to unpack as it relates to us as a church. So let's start out with the first point. Titus has been left to establish quality churches. He's been left to establish quality churches. He's on this island of Crete. These, um, these churches exist. But as we talked about the history of Crete, uh, Crete is kind of the wild, wild west of the Middle East and, and the Mediterranean at that time. Uh, it had become a landing spot and refueling and stocking spot for the Roman army. So there, it was kind of a military town. And, and going back in history, uh, shared a little bit with you last week, you're going to get into this in verse 12, where Paul quotes a Greek philosopher who's talking about the beautiful quality of the people of Crete and uh, calls them a lot of names. And uh, uh, they just had this reputation for being nasty, bad people who were incredibly greedy and incredibly materialistic. As a matter of fact, when you referred to somebody during biblical times in the Mediterranean region as being greedy, you would often call them a Cretan or Cretan. They made a name for themselves. So this is where we're establishing churches, folks. And, and I kind of set the, the paradigm last week that it's as if you decide to start a church on the strip in Las Vegas. All right. You got the picture. That's what we're talking about without all the electricity and the neon and the Elvis imitators. So. Paul says, I want you to establish quality churches. We already have churches established, but they need help. And the rest of the the book is dedicated to giving Titus instruction on what that looks like. And what we glean from that in looking at, you know, going back millennia here, is for us to question and for us to say, what is a quality church and how do we measure ourselves? The same things that these churches were struggling with, do we struggle with? And are we as a church, we've got our base, we've got our foundation, but we forgot to put the fly on. And so we're, we're really being tainted in everything we're doing because we're lacking. And Paul says we don't want our churches to be lacking. So Titus, you need to stay back and you need to do these things so these churches are strong, that they're effective and they're experiencing God the way they, they, they are entitled and the way that they can experience God. So let's break this down. Number one. He wants correct teaching established. Now you're saying, Pastor, where, where was that in this, in this verse? It's not. I'm giving you a precursor, all right? This is, if you read ahead, the context of the entire book is about false teaching versus good teaching and, and being careful about getting that information right. So somewhere along the line, when I went out camping initially, I turned to a friend of mine who supposedly knew more than I did, and I said, what is this thing? They said, it's a fly. I said, do we need it? He said, no. Bad advice, false teaching. I suffered because of it. And then I was rudely mocked by masses after as I tried to follow his 
incorrect teaching. So Paul says, Titus, you've got to establish correct teaching. Secondly, he's got to confront the false teaching. And the best way I know to uh, help you grasp this concept, we don't live in a culture that allows us to do this, right? So, you know, the, 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 the past week has uh, laid before us a variety of social uh, discussion, if you will, for everybody to weigh in on with domestic abuse and the NFL. And uh, how many of you have heard of all that's going on there? Okay, so, you know, we'll, we'll toss it out so that there's some familiarity. Uh, that there's a, a, a running back, a famous running back, um, that uh, we have video of. I don't personally have video. I said that wrong. There is video of, uh, of hitting his then fiance. And so you've had a bunch of people come in and talk about what should and what shouldn't happen and, and what should be the punishment, what shouldn't be the punishment. And some people feel that some things are not strong enough, some things are stronger. And then you have uh, another famous NFL running back who um, was indicted this past week for disciplining his child and going too far and there being child abuse. Uh, and, and so you have a, the, the whole culture weighing in on whether this is really child abuse or whether this isn't child abuse. And if you want to get fired as a Bible study leader, just encourage your young marriage to have a discussion on whether you should spank or not spank. All right? You'll be out the door in five minutes. Uh, it is not something that our society wants to really speak to unless they're vehemently opposed to it. Have you ever noticed that? That if someone's vehemently opposed to something, they, they have a big bullhorn. I mean, it's, it's a megahorn, right? And, and so they feel the full license to give their opinion. And then if somebody else, it, it becomes this huge debate. It becomes this huge problem. How do you confront false teaching either way? Well, our society says you don't, doesn't it? Our society says just be quiet. Don't say anything. As a matter of fact, I was listening to somebody weigh in, and they were, 10 years ago, they were over in Italy, and they were being hosted for a dinner. And the, uh, the host just turned around and punched his wife at the dinner table. Just flat out punched his wife. And the, and the guy said, it wasn't like a little, <laughs> you know, uh, hey, how you doing? You know, by the way, hey, how you doing? Go with the open hand, okay? High five, how you doing, okay? But like full on nailed her, punched her. And this guy was about to get up and his wife grabs him and whispers under her breath, it's not our business, stay out of it. That's our society. That is our society. We do not confront False teaching. Because we don't want to what? We don't want to make people feel bad. And yet that's one of the big reasons our society is the way it is. Somebody once told me, if Abraham Lincoln lived by that, we'd have a much different world today. If Martin Luther King Jr. lived by that, we'd have a much different world today. If Martin Luther lived by that, we'd have a much different world today. That's why those men were leaders. And women as well. Folks, we have to confront, and Paul says this over and over in the book of Titus, in order to have a quality church, you have to confront false teaching. Because it's all around us. Always has been, always will be. Next. This morning, 
We also want to focus on the idea that if you're going to have a quality church, the churches follow their leadership. One way or the other, churches follow their leadership. And, and if you walk or dance or whatever you do, as far as the evangelical world or the world of, of, of churchdom, however you want to call it, some of you kind of keep your, uh, your, uh, your finger out there to the prevailing ecclesial winds. Um, and, and there's been a lot of uh, funky stuff out there over the past uh, month with churches that were really popular and church leaders that were really popular. And they have fallen on some very hard times, but they've made some, some tough decisions. One of the reasons they had to make those tough decisions is because they followed a leader, whether good or bad, they followed the leader. They didn't follow the leader. You know what I'm saying? That we need to follow Christ. Now, we need to, we need to come underneath leadership as long as that leadership is godly leadership. And here at this church... We have, and we'll talk about this a little bit in one of our subpoints. we have elders that I am accountable to. I'm just one of four elders here at this church. And I'm open with my life to these gentlemen. And they ask me tough questions on occasion, and I ask them tough questions. And when things get a little hinky every once in a while, a little wonky, we talk about it. And that's the way, that's the way it will always be as long as I'm here. But when we follow leaders that are are strong, godly leaders, we see those results. When we follow leaders that start to see themselves as more important than the message of God and more important than God himself, and they supplant God's message with their own message, then we, we start to run askew. But bottom line, what we can bank on, what we can count on is that churches follow their leaders. And we've seen this in Revelation 2 through 3 as we went through this passage over and over and over, Paul or, or, or Jesus Christ himself holds these churches accountable. He rebukes them or he commends them or both. But he is always holding the leadership of those churches accountable. It, it starts with the leadership. And so as we look at that this morning, let me give you three things. Quality leaders excel at what? Number one, strengthening. Strengthening the church. That is one of the primary focuses of a leader within a church. Are your leaders strengthening the church? Number two, shepherding. And what's the difference between strengthening and shepherding? Strengthening uh, is a sense of of leading and pushing and guiding uh, to a level of the result looking different down the road. That you're stronger for it. Shepherding is the in the moment, the actual matter of fact, the coming alongside, the compassion and, and sometimes that is with, uh, you know, as a shepherd would have his tools, the hook and staff. Sometimes it's just a gentle word. Um, sometimes it's quietness, making, making the, the flock to lie down in cool pastures, uh, by cool waters and green pastures. So there's a little bit of a difference there between strengthening and shepherding. But a good leader, a quality leader, total quality leadership, a quality leader in a church strengthens the body, shepherds the body. And third is a servant. And we talked a little bit about this last week, that Paul first describes himself as a servant, then an apostle, then a preacher. If your pastors and I, and, and I'll, I'll pick on Steve because he's not in the room right now. I won't say the second service, okay? So this is just between you and me and the entire internet that's filming us. Uh, you know, Steve talked about a pastor of his from a former church that once a week that pastor cleans the bathrooms. And it's a big church. It's a big bathroom. <laughs> and, and I think he said about three things about that pastor. 
And twice it's been about how that impacted him that the pastor really took a service attitude. Um, And so it has an impact on people. To see their leadership being servants is the kind of leadership that's demonstrating what? Demonstrating Christ. Because Christ came to serve. Second, quality leaders in each church. This is what was supposed to happen. In in order to get quality churches, you had to have quality leaders in each church. And so how does this happen? So he, he orders elders, right? You see this, he says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Wow, that's a big task. Right? Some of you have jobs where you're supposed to manage middle management, and uh, uh, you have to travel all around, you have to bring those people in, you have to make sure they're doing a good job. This is kind of what Titus was doing. Not only did he need to establish those leaders over those churches, put the fly over the tent, so to speak, right? So it operated with great quality. He had to find quality people in a land of non-quality people. This is a job description that if, if it was left on me, I'd be like, great, thanks a lot. Do you know what I'm dealing with here? And sometimes that happens within churches that people say, well, or pastors say, or, or whoever's appointing the elders are saying, Lord, we just, we struggle. We, we don't know if we're going to, folks, that's why we have to train up quality leaders. That's why we need that next generation to desire to be that. Otherwise, when, when our elders pass on, sorry guys, I'm not predicting anything. When our elders pass on, we don't want it to stop once their time, once their service is done. It can't stop. So we need that next generation to be concerned. We need to be that, or have that next generation training, establishing quality leaders, ordering of elders, their administrators. There's some key words here. I don't know if, if I need to be real specific. I didn't write it down in your notes. But the idea that the elder is one who is seen as older, the, the, the wiser. Um, it's this word, episkopos, and it's, it is the office of elder. It's an administrator. It's an overseer, um, is this word that Paul keeps using over and over here in Titus and in 1 Timothy. And, and you're going to see in the coming weeks the requirements, the qualities necessary for an elder. And so as we go through this process of nominations coming up in this next month, this is what we are doing. We're appointing elders and how, how opportune that we're going to be looking at these qualities that are necessary in order to have quality leadership. Make sure that that fly is over the, over the tent, protecting the tent, and that it's functioning perfectly. It has to be quality. So Titus has to what? He has to uh, establish elders. And where? In every town. Every church. Not just the larger churches, but everywhere where there's a church, he's saying, you've got to get some good leadership in there. Because it's important for all the churches. Next. He says elders in plural form. Not just one elder. There needs to be multiple elders. And this is a, a, a practical help, an administrative help, And it's a biblical help as well. The book of Ecclesiastes speaks about the efforts of two coming together and a strand of three is is not easily broken. That that is better than one. We see the illustration of Christ as He establishes those leaders that will be over the church. He didn't just choose one. He chose twelve, correct? Yet out of those twelve, He 
kind of segmented Peter to be that spokesperson, to be kind of that lead dog, if you will. But Peter didn't have any more power than any of the other apostles. And we'll get into that a little bit later as we move on. But Jesus was all about establishing multiple leaders because he knew that they would need to have a plurality. They would need to have a team in order to function well. That nobody is left by themselves. And there's an accountability form in that and there's an edification form that's part of that that's key. They need to be qualified. And in, in Titus 1, 5-9, I'm going to give you these references. You can look them up over the, the next few weeks. But we're going into the 5-9 through nine over the next few weeks, and so you'll see that. That there's a list of qualities that make for a strong elder, a godly elder. Alright? And, and you have to be careful not to equivocate from this. When churches move away from this, then the tent doesn't function well. You know what I mean? You're, you're inevitably going to run into some problems. Um, and First Timothy is also a parallel passage that talks through a lot of this information. It's actually the primary passage for these qualifications as he, he was giving the same message to Timothy for Ephesus. So quality leaders in each church. Next, let's talk about our elders. Those were the elders there that, that he was... Uh, that he was talking, so how, how, what do we learn? How do we do it here? Well, our elders are, are appointed as well. And I'm in the process and have been in the process of praying through and talking with the other elders. And I'm asking the Lord to reveal to us uh, those individuals that need to step into that next step of life. And there have been uh, times over the last years, if you're part of this church, you know that we really haven't had many different elders. We've had about six different elders since I've been here. And so sometimes what happens within the church body is they'll, they'll look at that elder board as kind of a good old boys club, you know, that it's always the same guys, it's always the same people, and uh, it's this hierarchy, it's, it's the, go ahead and say it, because I know you're thinking it, it is the Illuminati, right? It's the Illuminati of the church. Folks, I, I have to share with you that as we seek to train up others, there's often resistance that we meet. And so when... Paul tells Titus, go and appoint elders. When Jesus walked, and you'll see some references coming up to this, Jesus didn't walk, walk up to Matthew and, as he's working at the tax booth and say, um, hey, uh, Matthew, do you feel qualified to follow me? It's not what he said. He said, Matthew, get up and follow me. Did he expect him to have it all together? No, he had a three-year plan for Matthew. Right? He took him out and he trained him. So for... Our younger generation, we're seeking to train those individuals and have them come into that next step of leadership so that that we're better. We're better for it. We're a quality team. And so uh, while you may see some of the same elders this coming year, it's not because we're not working behind the scenes and and seeking to train. As a matter of fact, uh, the elders have been praying over this for about six months about reaching out to individuals and working with them and training them over the next year to two years. Um, And so our elders, our elders are appointed. And then what happens is we bring those nominations to you and you affirm or vote on those in uh, in October. And as a congregation, that's an affirming vote of the nomination that happens there. So I'm going to give you a breakdown of, of kind of how I think this works. This is a good system. 
And it doesn't just apply to our elders. It applies to anybody in ministry and seeking ministry. Number one is this idea of invitation. Uh, I shared last night at FaceTime with the friar, Pepsi with the pastor, whatever we call it. Um, I shared with a couple new families my calling into ministry. That was my invitation. And, And folks, that comes from the Lord, that invitation. But it's just an invitation. How many of you received an invitation somewhere and you weren't sure if you really wanted to go? You didn't know how much you were going to really like it, how much you were going to benefit from it. But because of the person who invited you, you went. Now, the challenge for each of us is what do we do with the invitation? How do we recognize it when we see it? We'll talk more about that. But for For this situation in the book of Titus, Titus was going to individuals and he was inviting them. And it was a heavy emphasis on appointment, not just an optional, hey, if you want to come, you know, it's an appointment. But it starts with an invitation. And Mark 3.14 is that Matthew passage that I was talking about. Acts 14.23 speaks to the appointment of elders uh, in the churches, uh, the appointment of Paul by elders. Um, and you can look that up on your own as well. Secondly, confirmation. Your confirmation is incredibly important. So as I got my invitation from the Lord, I felt His calling on my life. I still didn't know for sure, because hearing that effectual voice of God, I've never actually heard His voice. It's a leading by the Spirit. It, it is a sense of peace. It is a sense of understanding. It is usually, for me, it is a moving into an uncomfortable area that I will be challenged in that I want nothing to do with. But if I were to disregard the invitation, I would be more irritated than if I accept the invitation. Do you understand that? But I need confirmation. And so confirmation came for me in the sense that God created opportunities that I could not make happen. You got that? God created opportunities for myself that I could not fabricate, I could not make happen, that coincided with the invitation. So if He's going to invite me to do something, He's got to make certain things happen so that I can effectively proceed with what He's called me to do. Those things happened as He grew me into my ministry. The third thing is affirmation. And the affirmation is this. If... If you have ever experienced prayer or counseling or encouragement from Hanny or from Brad or from Philip or from Mike or from um, Philip, well, I already mentioned Philip, or, or from Bob or from myself, those have been our elders over the years here at Concord Bible. We have had individuals come to us and tell us that because of the Lord working through that ministry, that they have been either blessed or received the encouragement, they received the advice that worked. And so as you proceed forth in your invitation and God confirms by giving you opportunities, then you wait for that next part of affirmation. There's a lot of individuals that enter into sermon prep because they're in love with the idea of standing here and preaching. And that's a great thing. You should love this idea. First Timothy talks about an elder needs to what? An elder needs to aspire to be there. But there's a lot of guys and gals that enter into sermon prep that have no business trying to preach or be a pastor. 
And one of the ways that you can know this is they just don't get the affirmation. They don't get the affirmation from their professors. They don't get the affirmation from their fellow students. God has not gifted them in that, and he's not going to work through them in that way. And so this is a very important part. Are you effective is, in essence, what we're saying. Are you effective in your leadership? Next, or last, quality leaders in each church. Um, Let's talk about other churches. So we talked a little bit about our church. How are we doing what Titus was asked to do? First of all, let me just clarify again. He's been asked to strengthen the churches. And so as we look at that this morning, we want to be sure that we're understanding that we're in a constant perpetual state of motion to strengthen this church. That is one of our purposes. And and so we do that through proper teaching. We do it through confronting false teaching. We do it through a, a variety of ways. But we have to have quality leaders in order to accomplish that. Paul knew that, and so he said, these, these churches that we've established, they're lacking. You've got to have quality leaders there. So we talked about why Paul did that. Then we talked about what we do in our own church. Well, let's talk real briefly, because if I was sitting where you were, I may be coming from some different experiences. How many have ever been to a Presbyterian church? How many have ever been in a Catholic church? Very, very different process of leaders, and they don't, they don't do what I just said. We do. So are we doing it the way it's supposed to be done? Are they doing it the way it's supposed to be done? Oh, now we're pastor. Really? You only have one minute to wrap up and you're, you're diving into this. Are you kidding me? Here we go. Other churches, they have variations of what Paul's talking about with establishing leadership. Some churches have no elders at all. Is this appropriate? Yes and no. I would say yes when you've got a church that's starting out and you do not have the what? The quality. If those requisite things that are listed coming up in verses 5-9 through or in 1 Timothy 3, if those are not there, folks, we don't just establish people so that we've got people with the title. That is a train wreck waiting to happen. Five diesel engines long. And people have been burnt incredibly because of that. So yes, it is appropriate. That church isn't ready yet. And by the way, this was a progressive thing for Titus. He was there for a while. And so it took time to train up those leaders. Um, So yeah, there's, there's an appropriate time. Second, no elders at all. When I got here, our church had an executive board. We had, our constitution said that we would have one elder. But that elder served as the church the, the, the way the Constitution read, as I read it, it's, he served more as a deacon. The deacon served more as the spiritual shepherds of the church. And then we had a church board. Folks, that is a learned part of church lore. All right? And that's how a lot of small churches operate. Because if you don't have the kind of leadership that you need, then you form what's called a church board. Then you form... You know, the kind of leaders that you've got, you make them function, you make them work the way that you can work. And so there are reasons why there are different churches operating different ways. Uh, Presbyterian churches, they establish your pastor, they establish your leader, and and there's a hierarchy that's up here that tells those churches how they're going to function, how they're going to vote, what they're going to do. Our church has a, uh, it's a congregational in in, in its voting process. Uh, So some of the major pertinent things that we do, you vote. As the priesthood of Christ. So, there's just some different variations. Folks, most of those are based out of tradition. 
Most of those are based out of tradition. Um, some are based out of biblical instruction because there's not the quality leadership. So you kind of have to ad hoc it. Next, elder demographics, age, sex, occupation. Um, you know, there's differences between churches. And we'll talk about that as we move through five through nine. Uh, what, what's different between some churches? Why do some churches, um, you know, have... Uh, uh, a college student as an elder. Some churches you have to be over the age of 60 to be an elder. Some churches have women elders. Some churches don't have elders at all. Um, what, do, what do you do with all that? Some churches have elders that aren't even believers. What do you do with that? And, and so we'll, we'll get into that. Um, and then there's just some non-biblical standards. Because we're focused on the process, we're not focused on the purpose. Does that make sense? And so when it comes to other churches, and you may be saying, well, well, okay, our church just does what they do because we do what we do because we see this pattern set in Scripture so that you have quality leadership, so that we have a what? A quality church. So that we do exactly what Paul is talking about in strengthening the church so it's ready for every good work. Come back next week when we get into the fun stuff. The deeper stuff. But let me challenge you again. This is, this is some stuff that if I were walking away from the service today, I'd be saying, okay, pastor, how does this affect me? What, you know, I, I don't really know that I'm elder material. Well, you need to be praying for what God has for you. You need to be praying for the selection and appointment of those elders. You need to be saying, does this church do things the way that, that Christ instructed out of Scripture? I'm going to give you three things real quickly in, in to finish out. We have a quality example in Christ. And this affects us as believers. Everybody. The priesthood of believers. And so I give you three things. Quality leaders follow Christ, not a business plan. And so much of the time within churches, we take and we borrow from the business world because there's some great administrative practices and principles out there. But sometimes those become paramount when they should just be a help. And we lose the process of the spiritual aspect of what we're doing. And so we have to be very, very careful and very mindful of that. That for us, we need to seek our leaders be spiritual in their effect and in their administration. Secondly, and 1 Corinthians one twenty three is a great reference for that. Quality leaders appoint more quality leaders. So let me challenge you that as, as some of our leaders may come to you and say, hey, would you be interested in serving in this capacity or that capacity? Understand, they're not just trying to... F- fill a volunteer role so we can have a ministry. The way that we try to approach ministry here at Conquer Bible is we want to see you use your giftedness. We want to see you feel as part of the team and we want to train you so that you're doing a quality job so that you are producing, as, as chapter 3, verse 14 says, quality, good work so that the efforts of Christ are not wasted and that, that everybody is participating, not just a few. Matthew 9, 9 and 16, 24 are great references for that. And then lastly, quality leaders are living examples of Jesus Christ. And 1 John 2, 6 is a great reference to that, that basically is saying that if, if someone wants to follow Christ, they have to walk as Christ walked. That your leadership should walk, should, should be a reflection of Jesus Christ. Not only your leaders, but yourself in your own life in the position of leadership that God has established you, whether it's in your household, whether it's at work, you know, the marketplace stuff that Bob is leading out in, whether it's your ministry here, you should do so with the same passion, the same effort, the same act of service that Christ did as well. 
the question for you and I today to wrestle with is if we're trying to establish total quality leadership, how do we do that and for what purpose? For the strengthening of the churches. And by responding when that invitation comes, looking for the confirmation from God and looking for the affirmation from those around us. Let me close in prayer this morning. Thank you for being here. And I pray that those words challenge you. Folks, this is the stuff nobody wants to talk about, right? This is why as we enter into the voting season, we hit ourselves in the head when we see what people vote for. It's called the uninformed voter. But people don't want to take the time to sit down and listen to what they need to listen to. So thank you. And, and take these notes and utilize them. Flip it over. Um, we'll start life groups next week. Utilize the back notes and, and go deeper into what we're talking about so that you are an informed voter when it comes to voting for our leadership coming up um, in October. Let me pray for you, and then you're dismissed. Lord, take these words and, and make them alive. Looking at the, the concept of Paul giving the instruction to strengthen the churches, uh, to make right, to order, put into order those that remain, um, and then to appoint elders quality elders in every town. Lord, this is a huge task. Um, It is with great difficulty. And so to unpack what that instruction means and the value of that instruction is desperately important for us. It's not the most exciting thing to talk about. Um, For many of us, we think it relates to somebody else. But Lord, we need to be in prayer about this. We need to consider and as we prepare to look at those qualities next week out of Scripture, we need to um, be mindful then of what a quality leader looks like, whether we're put into a position of leadership or whether we're voting for somebody or coming underneath someone's leadership. How do we view, how do we measure that quality leader in your church? Give us wisdom. Give us insight. Carry us throughout this day and this week that we might glorify you. To your glory, Father. Amen.